Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get Two, and welcome to our Memorial Day episode of Let's Get Two. We do have a pack show, and, and really it is all themed with uh, Memorial Day in mind. We're going to be visited uh, for our Big League Chew segment by military veteran Matt Dudley. And our baseball team that we're focusing this week is the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, in large part because they have a really big connection to Fort Bragg, where near, which is you know near Fayetteville. So, but I do want to talk a little bit about Memorial Day in gen in general because I think it's a day that confuses people, and I think bears some explanation. You know, I'm a, I'm a veteran. I spent seven years in the army, a year about maybe a year and a half of that, I guess, um, either training to or going to the the Balkans to Bosnia in the '90s, and. As one can imagine, when you join um, that brother and sisterhood, it isn't something that leaves you very, very quickly. And so a big part of my identity is the fact that I served. I was a 13 Fox, a Fister, which is a forward observer. Our job was to go ahead of the maneuver element and destroy enemies with indirect fire assets like artillery, air force, that kind of thing. But the thing that it separates my my veteran experience than say the veteran experience of Vietnam veterans is that I came home to a country that at least respected the service, and I think still does to this day. You know, vets will often talk about how often about how awkward the term "thank you for your service" is because you don't really know how to respond to it, but it is something that I at least recognize those who came back from Vietnam didn't get. But I want folks to remember that Memorial Day isn't Veterans Day and that it is a day that we think about those that are, quite frankly, better than us, those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for this country that they believe in, and it, it, it isn't really about thanking me or other vets or active duty members for their service. The thing, the thing to remember is that we're in an age now where I, I obviously don't know the numbers, but I would say 100% of, of modern era military veterans know someone who did not come home from combat, particularly Army vets. And so the thing I, I would, would, remembering the fact that we've now basically been at war since 2002, to remember that all the veterans that you're talking to are probably spending this weekend reflecting on brothers and sisters who didn't come home. Now, there are some that take this idea to the extreme and say that you shouldn't enjoy the weekend and that we know that culturally Memorial Weekend has become kind of the first weekend of summer. And that isn't the thesis to this at all. Part of the point of service of us being a volunteer military where a small percentage fight is that you can you know enjoy the comforts of what America brings. And we're at a weird time in our country where the rhetoric is that it's going to hell in a handbasket and and I I have to believe that it's not as bad as people think. I'm not saying it's perfect, I'm not saying that it is at all ideal. But you know, I have the benefits of a history degree, and so I know that 1968, we nearly, literally tore ourselves apart. But I digress. So how does that fit into baseball? The thing about it for me is that baseball was always, again, present 
when I was in the military. In many ways, it, it was pretty formative for me because it was kind of the first time where I kind of learned about other teams because you're thrown together with people from all over the country. And so you start to really like my roommate at one point was a big Cardinals fan and I knew Yankees. Fan. I mean, people from all over the country are serving. And so it really does kind of open your eyes to, to, to the impact that baseball had. But I also think that, you know, baseball has this, this tradition of service. You know, players like Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, Gary Maddox, and Bob Feller all served. You know, Jackie Robinson served honorably and then was dishonorably discharged for beginning, one might say, his first step to breaking the color barrier by refusing to sit in the back of an army bus. And then I want to mention Warren Spahn, who served at the Battle of the Bulge. And if anybody knows anything about the history of World War II in the European theater, you know, we definitely discuss, at, rightfully so, the horrors of, you know, the invasion of Normandy and what that means. And it was so expertly captured in Steven Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan. But if you go back and you think about what the Battle of the Bulge meant, under-equipped troops fighting in the snow, basically just trying to survive. Really, really a harrowing experience. And, you know, when you think about this this generation of baseball players from, you know, really I'm, I'm focused on World War II in Korea, that most willingly, like we all know, like Ted Williams is famous for not being okay with going to serve, but he went. But it's just a different, a different kind of generation, and it's probably no mistake that that was the generation of ball players that was most ingrained with American history. Baseball probably at its height, coming out of World War II in Korea, and some of those some play, some of those same players coming back. You know, but baseball, even in my own military experience, made me feel connected. You know, I remember shipping off to basic training at the beginning of February. But, you know, the, the couple things to remember is, is I, was, I was in a non-co-ed basic training on Fort Sill with most folks that, would, that were going to go off to AIT to be fisters, to be 13 foxes. And if you know anything about that, that MOS, it's, it's a pretty hardcore MOS. Um, it might be, as, it might be as, a, as hardcore an MOS as you can get with, before you cross over into that special ops world of like rangers and and uh, special forces and and those guys. So we didn't have access to a whole lot of any kind of information. But the the few times we would, when we would go to the mess hall, there sometimes would be a TV on Sports Center, and I would just wait for that scroll to see how the Astros did. And this is that first, well, really the second run of Astros history in in the in the nineties with the Killer Bees, where. For like three years in a row, they had the best record in baseball or one of the top three or whatever it was. But I would just look for those scores and just and just be just be like excited to get some news, not just from home, but about the ball team. You know, I remember um, when we deployed to Bosnia, and and the the thing to remember about the mission in Bosnia, because it wasn't it was not Iraq, it was not Afghanistan, it was this weird mission of at times, really dangerous, really scary moments, but at times also a lot of downtime. And we, a friend of mine, essentially got a bunch of people. We built a softball field in the back end of um, our base camp. Now, the thing to remember is um, during Bosnia, before NATO intervened, and my history could be off on this, please forgive me, but they were really fighting an old school war. And so that country was filled, 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 filled with landmines. Um, mostly, as I recall, anti-tank mines. And, you know, I remember we would issue comic books to kids. Uh, it was a Superman comic. I think I still have one of, you know, just information about how to avoid landmines. It was that serious. But we had built this softball field. Um, I... We had only a few softballs. One went into a minefield, and yes, I climbed on the Constantiner wire with a um, like a garden hoe to get the ball back. Um, admittedly, today, as I sit here, forty three years old, pretty damn stupid, but got the ball back. 
I ended up falling into the wire, cut my hands up pretty nasty. Um, there are pictures somewhere. I'll see if I can post one of my hand wrapped up afterward. But we would play, and we would play whenever we could. We got some free. We eventually got some free gear sent. Then a really bad rain uncovered that there was some maybe a mine, I guess, near where the field was, and so the engineers had to clear the base and blow it. And that was the end of our field. My other, and you know, if anybody I served with in Bosnia, if I have those details off, by all, by all means, correct me. Uh, I can't believe that it has been. Oh my lord. Has it really been? Am I doing the math right? Has it been 22 years since I've been in that country? Old old age is no joke, kids. But the other thing that I remember, we had a guy named, uh, I think his name was Sergeant Major McClary. And this guy looked like, I'm not even kidding, Gargamel from the Smurfs. And he was tall. He was, I mean, he looked just like him, except for two things. One, he had about four teeth in his head. Two, he didn't smoke a cigar. He chewed the cigar. And I'll, I'll never forget. I'll, I'll backtrack a look. My first experience with him, and I just made it to Fort Polk, Louisiana. And anybody that's been in the military that knows, Fort Polk, Louisiana is so awful that I was super glad to go to Bosnia. There, I said it. And I remember, you know, coming in, we had Lieutenant Colonel Corda was his name, and him giving us this speech about service and honor and, and stuff like that. And then he left and it's all this enlisted guys. And the sergeant major comes in, who is the highest ranking enlisted guy in the cavalry squadron. And he said, forget all that officer bullshit. Your job is to kill enemies of the United States. And so I just remember thinking that this is a very different cat. So we fast forward to Bosnia. It's two years later or so. And I'm actually getting ready to rotate back home before going to my next duty assignment, which was Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And I remember standing there and, and you, you know, as you're rotating out, you get whatever award you're getting. And, and I don't even remember which one I'd gotten. I'd been promoted to specialist. I think I was getting an army, just an army achievement medal or something. And so he's supposed to, you know, he's shaking my hand and he's supposed to tell me all of these like inspiring things about how I'm going to go forward, become an NCO someday and, and the future of the army, you know, whatever. And it was stuff I had heard him say to the other people rotating out next to me. And he gets to me and he, and he, he big Yankee guy, big Yankee guy. And he starts shaking my hand and patting my shoulder, except the words are reasons why the Astros will never, ever win a World Series. Now, I'm certain that he has since left us. Um, but if he's up there, Sergeant Major, we got our World Series. But the weird thing about me, baseball, the Army, service, our country, is it, it goes... It, it does go full circle. One of my favorite parts of a baseball game is the anthem. I render a hand salute. I take a moment. You know, I'm not really thinking about anything else other than thinking about my time in the military, service, friends that, you know, are, are not here anymore. And also some of my friends who were in Iraq and Afghanistan and maybe didn't come home all the way. And that's, I think, a, a really sad reality. Now, the question then invariably comes up, and it's been weird. It's happened to me at, at stadiums where I finish the salute and some guy I don't know will ask me this. What do I think of Colin Kaepernick kneeling in, in this trend of kneeling in the NFL? And it's an interesting, complicated thing. And... One of the weird things about being a vet in America to these days is that people sort of assume that I already – or they, they know how I'm going to answer. I do appreciate the fact that it doesn't happen in baseball, that everybody is standing there rendering respect to the flag. And maybe it's because we have a lot of percentage of people that are coming from impoverished South American countries and they, they, they see America for what it is, that, that shining city on a hill. Maybe that's it. But back to the NFL kneeling thing, like I don't like it. I wish that there was a, another way. But I don't think it should be illegal, and I don't necessarily think that it should be stopped because the whole point of, of America and the fact that we lost so many people overseas is because it's for freedom of speech. And sometimes that speech is uncomfortable. So no, I don't like it. I don't necessarily think it's an insult 
or a direct insult to those I know who 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 didn't come home. I don't I don't see it that way. But but I think the answer is more complicated than yes or no. And I think that those that choose that form of protest feel they have a point. It's still a relatively peaceful I mean relatively it is a peaceful protest. But I also understand people that are upset about it. I mean America's a complicated thing. But you know, that's about as pol- that's about as political as I want to get on the show. I know a lot of vet- veterans who feel more extreme to the no way they shouldn't do it, and I know a lot of veterans that feel more extreme to the other side that are like, it doesn't bother me at all. I'll kneel too. I think I side with with Nate Boyer on the. I wish there was a different way because it, you know the irony of it all is, you live in a country that you can make that protest because. People went over, people of all shades and all genders and all orientations. I mean, let's be honest. Defending this country is not the sole responsibility of straight white dudes. Lots of people of lots of walks of life felt strongly enough about what this promise of America is to give their sacrifice. And at least for me personal, personally, during the national anthem, that is my time to thank them for that sacrifice. So again, we have a great show. Um, we won't stray too, too far from this theme. But we do, you know, I want you to go out and enjoy the first weekend of summer. Get out to a ball game. We're going to. We're going to be covering the Corpus Christi Blue Ghosts. They're playing as the Blue Ghosts, which is a really, really cool identity that they've adopted. We're going to be seeing batting practice on the Lex. And so enjoy that. And we're going to be enjoying some time with Nathan and Shelley. Nathan and Shelley, you've heard on this show before, who is celebrating their 10th wedding anniversary, both big baseball fans. And I do want to send out a very special happy anniversary message to them and tell a funny story about their wedding before we move into the rest of the show. So we were, they got married in Corpus. Really, really good time. I'll remember three things. Shelley looked lovely. Nathan looked sweaty. And the Longhorns won something like a 23-inning baseball game that unfortunately became kind of the focus of their wedding reception. Um, so happy anniversary, you two. Thanks again for joining Let's Get To. I hope you all stick with us. From the bleachers, the Let's Get To Game of the Week. So we tried to do a traditional from the bleachers segment, but that didn't work this week because we went out to West Texas, had a great time, but the one thing about West Texas, there's a lot of wind, and the sound over the microphone wouldn't work. But I would have thought I would at least talk a little bit about what an incredible experience it was. So first of all, those of you who are not from Texas are really aware of what Texas is. Texas is big. It's, uh, it's, it's a big state with a lot of diversity in its environment and in its people, and I love me some Texas. But this weekend, I wanted to go out to see see the Midland Rockhounds, which is about five hours to my west. And, you know, my two favorite parts of Texas are West Texas and the Gulf Coast. So I was really, really excited to take the drive. And lots of times when I'm doing that, lots of times when I'm doing that, I like to take the long way. I like to take the the U.S. highways, the back roads, I'm not really interested in getting on the interstate. You know, it's like that line in planes, trains, and automobiles when they get picked up by the weird cab driver on the interstate. All you see is interstate. So I didn't want to do that. So headed out 71 and really just had a great time. And, and I also knew that I would be kind of preparing for our Memorial Day episode. And so what I love is that, you know, in all these town squares, there are monuments to the the fallen from a lot of the wars, mainly I was looking at the, the fallen from World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, and the more modern conflicts like the Gulf, like the Gulf War in the 90s and Iraq and Afghanistan today. So it really was fun. It's about, like I said, about a five or six hour drive for me and uh, went through beautiful St. Angelo. Just, just a great time. Wide open, blue skies, wide open spaces. It was great. So I pulled up to the ballpark uh, about two in the afternoon on Saturday and uh, the Midland Rockhounds, they play at Security Bank Ballpark, and it is gorgeous. The park is it's so pretty. It's in a kind of a building, from what I can tell anyway, a building up section of Midland. 
there's a soccer stadium next to it. There's some new restaurants going up, new hotels. But the, the park was great, super easy access. And the minute you walk in, you feel a tie to the Texas League and Midland's past in the Texas League that I really, really found really enthralling. Got some really cool statues, and they have banners throughout the whole park of all of the great players that have gone on a big major league careers that spent some time in Midland, you know, guys like Barry Zito. So very, very cool that they have kept that connection to their past like like so many other minor league teams do. Now, what makes a minor league team work? More than anything, more than facility, more than team on the field, is the people behind the team. And, and I can't say enough about the staff, the, from the staff on the concourse to their media department to you know Matt and his public relations staff. It was just just so much fun, and, and everything was was a warm greeting and a smile. And how can we help make your stay better? And it wasn't just you know for me a guy with a podcast that you know some people listen to, but I watched his interactions throughout the entire night, and and it really was just what's most important. I do want to do a special shout out to the staff of the pro shop and especially to, and I don't have her name, but there was a certain math teacher that works there who teaches at St. Anne's in Midland. What's up? So just saying hi to her. But, you know, again, one of the cool things is they have a really like legitimate rich history in the Texas league, including a run of four straight Texas league titles. And I love that it's part of the iconography. The game day atmosphere is minor league baseball at its finest. And minor league baseball is about community, and it's about the community that lives in the town. And one thing that I was curious about and excited about was how would this part of Texas be reflected in the Midland Rockhounds? For those of you who don't know, Midland, Texas is kind of the oil capital of Texas, or, or one of them. And that does work its way through the way they are presented on the field, from the Midland Rockhound being their mascot to the oil imagery in the video board. Just very, very cool and very well designed. We showed up for the game, my brother-in-law Griffin and I, on what was a bunch of different company picnics. So the park was filled. People are having a great time, you know, kids playing catch on the berm. You had little league teams out there getting, you know, to be on the field with the players games between things. It was just it was just great. And it was all wrapped up in a really, really fun fireworks display set to famous TV theme songs, which again, that's right up my alley and I loved it. So long story short, it's an incredible experience. Anybody in that area or if you're one of these guys like, you know, Ken, the baseball traveler traveling around to baseball stadiums, the Midland Rock Rounds have to be on your list. We will be back next year. Just had a great time. And now, the Big League Chew, and I on the Majors. So we're not going to do our normal Big League Chew thing today. Normally, Scott would come on and we would talk about what happened in Major League Baseball in the previous week. But today, with us having our Memorial Day show, we had something planned. Matt Dudley, a really great friend of mine and Air Force veteran, was supposed to come on to talk a little bit about some baseball players who had paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country. Now, Matt, like I said, is retired from the Air Force, but is currently a San Antonio police officer. And as often happens with that job, sometimes your time isn't really your time, so he couldn't make it. Uh, We're really bummed about it. We are going to have him on the show, but he sent us some information that we wanted to share with you that I think is really, really great and really ties into our episode. So he shared with us an MLB.com article from about three years ago, and it comes from... Baseballandwartime.com, and it highlights several major league baseball players who gave the ultimate sacrifice in combat. And we're going to talk about three of them. Now, the first we're going to talk about is Cleveland, Ohio's own Elmer Gideon. Elmer signed with the Washington Senators in June 3, 1939, but he got to play in just five games. In 1941, he was drafted by the U.S. Army and later ended up in the Army Air Force. He earned his pilot's license and even survived a fiery plane crash when his B-25 clipped trees during a training flight. Now, on April 20th, 1944, Gideon's B-26 Marauder was shot down on a flight from Borum Airfield in the UK trying to bomb a German target in France. Five of the six crew members, including Gideon, were killed, 
He was 22 years old and was the first major leaguer killed in World War II. The second and only other major league baseball player killed in World War II was Harry O'Neill. Harry O'Neill was a 6'3", 205-pound catcher that signed with Connie Mack's Philadelphia A's, and he spent the rest of the season as the club's third-string backstop. He would only end up playing on one game in, on June 23rd. O'Neill played two seasons of semi-pro ball before he finally enlisted in the Marine Corps after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. He attended OCS in Quantico, Virginia, and as a first lieutenant in the 4th Marine Division, O'Neill took part in several amphibious assaults, including the Battles of Saipan and Tinian. On March 6, 1945, during the assault of Iwo Jima, O'Neill was killed by sniper fire. He was 27. Seven years later in the War of Korea, Bob Neighbors gave his life for our country. Bob joined the Air Force on May 8, 1942, and he served with the 22nd Air Transport Training Detachment at Shepherd Field in Wichita Falls, Kansas. He also played ball for the Shepherd Field Mechanics. After World War II, he stayed in the military and saw combat duty during the Korean War as a B-26B invader pilot with the 13th Bomb Squadron of the 3rd Bomb Group. During a night mission on August 8, 1952, Neighbor's plane was shot down. He was reported missing in action and then later confirmed dead. He was 34 and the only Major League Baseball player killed in Korea. Now, I highly recommend checking out this Baseball and Wartime website. It does a great job of really chronicling the connection between baseball and the military that goes back all the way to the Civil War. And again, Matt, thanks so much for finding this information for us. And we can't wait to have you on the show to talk baseball and, in particular, your Seattle Mariners. Go, go Astros, a focus on H-Town Hardball. So we're not going to have a traditional Go, go Astros segment today. It is Memorial Weekend, and, and you know, as I record this Tuesday morning, the Astros have won 14 of 15, or, or like nine games ahead in the division. So we can probably put the state of Houston's ball club aside. But I do want to talk about Houston's ball club, and I do want to talk about how I became such a big Astros fan and... There is a point to this, and it definitely fits within the theme of the show. But I want to talk about my grandfather. So Del Pumphrey, who I called Poppy, is as important to my baseball fandom as anyone. I remember going to baseball games with him as far back as I can remember anything. And I have some really, really vivid memories of that. Driving in his old Dodge Ram SUV thing before, they were, before SUVs were really a thing. Him wearing those blue slacks, his Knights of a Columbus hat. And we would go to games all the time. Sometimes we would go with my other cousins. Sometimes it was just he and I. Sometimes it was he and my brother. But some of the, the biggest memories I have were when it was just Poppy and I. And he really did his best to feed the obsession with all of the things I like about the ball game. Now, much like my father, he was he was often a leave at the seventh inning kind of guy, but we would listen to the game. So it would be Milo Hamilton on the drive back. He kept me enrolled in the Astros Buddies for all the years I was allowed, which was always really, really cool. So my love of baseball and my love of the Astros really wouldn't exist if it weren't for my mother's dad. Now, we had a big family growing up. Um, my mom is one of nine children. They had a 10th who passed away when he was a baby, but one of nine children who would go on to have children. And I'm either the, the oldest in the second generation of cousins in my mother's family or I guess one of the youngest, however. It's weird. It's a big Irish Catholic family. Uh, they did what Irish Catholic families do. And so it's huge. And, you know, there's, there's, there's groups of cousins that are 20 years older than another group of cousins. And so it's a weird, weird dynamic. But Poppy and I would go all the time. Poppy and I would get another connection that in many ways meant more to me than even just the baseball one. My grandfather was a Navy veteran from World War II. And he had two sons that also were in the military. Uh, my uncle Dennis was uh, in the army, and there was definitely 
military tradition in our family in the sense that people served. So my grandfather, World War II veteran, didn't talk much about it, but I'd be honest to say I, I don't know if he talked to other people about it. You know, again, I was his grandson. We talked about baseball, and I didn't uh, ever really, maybe even not even think to ask. So I don't know if 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 he kept it secret or not. I can't speak to that. But the connection with us came not just when I enlisted, but before I deployed. And my mom gave me the Bible that Poppy had in World War II. And it was um, something I still have, something that meant a lot to me, and I think deepened our connection. Uh, my grandfather passed away um, years ago now, and he, he lived to see the Astros make the World Series. He did not live to see them win it, um, but he was one of those, one of the first people I thought of when the final out got recorded. And, you know, my love of the game again goes back to him. My connection uh, to him through service is still very much there. And so Memorial Day is reserved for those who died in combat. And fortunately for all of us, he did not. And, um, but even still this, you know, I'll, I'll take a second this weekend to think about him while I'm at the ball game. So uh, we miss you, Poppy, and we love you. To the first 10,000 fans, the Let's Get To Promotion of the Week. For our promotional segment today, we're going to stay in the affiliated minor leagues with a focus on some of the clubs in some of the smaller towns. Part of that's because, you know, thinking about Memorial Day, and knowing that when a soldier is killed in action from a smaller town, it's it's just a lot more painful than, say, in a big city like Houston. A whole town will feel it. And that's because, just like with a lot of the minor league baseball teams, living in a small town, it's closer, it's intimate, it's like family. And so that was kind of why we wanted to shine a light on some of the promotions and some of the things that some of these other teams again, in smaller towns, are doing for Memorial Day. So we're going to start with the Corpus Christi Hooks. Now, Corpus Christi has ties to the military at several different levels. One, there's an air station there. And two, it is the final dock for the USS Lexington, or the Lex, or the Blue Ghost. So the USS Lexington, for those of you who don't know, was a World War II aircraft carrier that was sunk during the Battle of the Coral Sea. And then it was a new carrier was built and was given the Lexington name and went back into the fight. Now, the Lex took a lot of damage. Actually, both iterations of it did, to the point that the famous propagandist Tokyo Rose referred to it as a ghost, thinking it was the exact same ship every single time. Hence, the Blue Ghost. And so the Hooks are going to play as the Blue Ghost this weekend with really, really cool uniforms. And one of the things they're going to do is is something in baseball you just don't see. They're going to have batting practice open to the public, which isn't all that weird, except that it's batting practice from the deck of the USS Lexington from the aircraft carrier. Well, let's get to we'll be out there with our press passes in hand, ready to take it in, and we can't wait to report back. Now, the South Bend Cubs, they're going to be having a military appreciation day, while the Erie Sea Wolves will be honoring the fallen on the field before the game. The West Virginia Power will be having a Memorial Day cookout on Memorial Day, and the Visalia Rawhide are going to be playing in my favorite alternative jersey of the year. So they got special Memorial Day jerseys depicting the Battle of Iwo Jima. And so like I said, All levels of baseball are going to be acknowledging those that fell for our country out at the game. And I want you to go, regardless of the level. If it's independent, minor league, or major, get out there. We know the major leagues will be wearing their alternative uniforms. But go. Enjoy your family. Have a dog. Enjoy being outside. It's the unofficial first day of summer. And the only thing that I ask, when you rise for the flag and you put your hand over your heart, remember that the reason why we can have a country with baseball and we can have all of these free things that we have and that we can have a country where we can argue with each other about things that feel so diametrically apart and so different, yet we can remain somewhat civil about it 
it's because that there's a percentage of men and women who willingly gave their lives, not just for their brothers and sisters in arms, but for the country that we live in. And that's a sacrifice that should never be forgotten. On deck, the Let's Get To Interview of the Week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. So we're excited to be joined by two members of the new Houston Astros Class A advanced affiliate, the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. First up is Victoria Huggins, the Community and Media Relations Manager. The former Miss North Carolina has strong ties to the Fayetteville community, the military, and a unique history with the game of baseball. So Victoria, thank you for joining Let's Get To. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be live on the podcast with you. Hello, Houston. (laughs) Well, actually, it's Austin, but yes. Hello, Austin. Austin. (laughs) Well, I love Texas. Every part of it is wonderful and beautiful. It is. Well, except for Dallas, but we can leave that later. (laughs) So, Victoria, tell me a little bit about just how you got into baseball. And I know that you've actually, in a way, been with the Woodpeckers since, well, since the groundbreaking. Yes. So my baseball story is very unique. Um, I am not athletically inclined except for golf, but I have lots of cousins. Since I was an only child, my cousins were basically my siblings, and I always tried to encourage them in their endeavors just like they did me. So I would typically sing the national anthem, and then I would be cheering for them over on the sidelines. And my cousin, Dalton, played youth sports quite significantly and he was a wonderful baseball player until he turned about um, that delicate age of 12 or 13 he loved having me at his games and then he decided that I was embarrassing him (laughs) so then I was banned from the baseball park and now it's kind of funny at family dinners now when we get together and I'm like look who's working in baseball now (laughs) (laughs) But then I had the wonderful opportunity um, when we broke ground on the stadium in 2017. I was the reigning Miss North Carolina, and I was invited to come and sing the national anthem and hold that beautiful shovel in my hand and break ground on my future workplace. So how many people can say that? Not many. Did you already outline your office when you were there, or or how did that work? I, I had just begun my journey as a state ambassador, so I was not thinking very much about beyond that. But, of course, as time went on and I was preparing myself for entering back into the workplace, I definitely had my eye on the woodpeckers because they have such a focus on community service, and that is something that I'm very passionate about. In addition to providing our community with a wonderful way for families to spend time together and to cultivate a new passion, um, for downtown development and economic development. So we've been excited about the Woodpeckers gearing up for this for two years. And now that we're going to have the opportunity to unveil everything that we've been working on, it's just so humbling and exciting all at the same time. So can you talk, talk to us a little bit about what y'all are going to be doing? I know community outreach and, and is, is a really big focus of y'all. So what are some of the things that y'all are going to be working on, both with the, like, the veteran community and, and the military community of Fort Bragg and just in Fayetteville? Yes, so my job as the manager of community and media relations, I have the wonderful opportunity of overseeing our official team charity, which is the Woodpeckers Fund, and that's underneath the umbrella of the Houston Astros award-winning community um, program outreach, which is the Astros Foundation. And with the core of our Woodpeckers Fund, we're focusing on the Community Leaders Program, which is adapted from Houston, and we are going to separate that into two tiers with a focus in the military and youth sports. So we're going to be taking this wonderful... um, funding that we have received from five corporate sponsors and partners that have generously given $65,000 just to get us started. Oh, wow. And then, yes, and then we're expecting, because we have group fundraisers 
and opportunities that are going to be happening within the inaugural season, we're expecting to exceed $100,000 of total investment. So that is unheard of in minor league baseball for a team to be able to begin their inaugural season with this type of impactful community outreach. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And so, yes, we're what, very and, excited. And so talk to, again about some of the specific groups. I know you said like y'all are going to be doing some stuff with the Boy Scouts in your live thing and your live feed. But I, I noticed something that you mentioned, too, about an area at even the park for vets. Did I get that right or – Yes. So for our military outreach, our primary beneficiary that we are focusing on this year is called Rick's Place. And it is a park that is built by soldiers for soldiers five miles off of base at Fort Bragg. And it's a 50 acre park and they have everything inside that a soldier or their family could possibly enjoy. Everything from a community garden that people of all ages can be a part of, whether it's planting or harvesting the vegetables and things that they're going to be planting this season. They have an American Ninja Warriors course, a child's level, intermediate level, and an expert level. That's a really cool component. And then just 50 miles that people can enjoy. And they actually have a large population of woodpeckers on their property. So that's a wonderful little tie-in for us. So we're going to be sending... 50 children, 50 military children to their summer camps. Um, They have various summer camps that are very unique. One focuses on survival skills. Another one is a Nerf um, gun-focused camp. And another one is about, you know, coping with the stress of being a military child and just being able to let them let loose on this beautiful property and have an opportunity to really understand that we're not forgetting about the sacrifice that they're making as children while their parents are serving our country. We want them to feel valued and special and that we understand what they're going through. Uh, that's amazing, you know, because that's the one, you know, it's the one of the one of the aspects of military life that I think gets ignored, you know, not just how hard it is on the spouses, but how hard it is on the kids. Yes, and from personal experience, because my father served in the North Carolina Army National Guard for 41 years prior to retiring this January, and it was always amazing for me to learn not only from him and his sacrifice and commitment to service, but also from my mom, because she was so exemplary in showing me what it was like to support someone who was going to be sacrificing that time and that energy and those talents to better serve our nation. And it taught me perseverance and how to support my family um, and help me to grow up very quickly at an early age. So I want to have that same support system for these children that we have here in our Fayetteville and Fort Bragg community as I did growing up as a military child. So talk a little bit about, you know, you guys have a new park that's opening. I know I'm excited to get out there. I'll be there on July 2nd. What can what can fans expect from their experience at the park this year? Oh, my goodness. It is going to be a roller coaster when our fans are able to go into Seger Stadium for the very first time. Our ribbon cuttings happening on April the 13th. They're going to be blown away. Our naming rights partner, Segra for our stadium has absolutely made this incredible as far as being one of the most technologically um, advanced stadiums that minor league baseball has ever seen. And then we're going to have all of these theme nights. So whether you're a Harry Potter fan or whether you want to come and enjoy Alzheimer's night where we're going to paint the park purple and our team's going to be wearing purple jerseys and all of the proceeds from that night, a portion of them will be going back to the Alzheimer's Association. We're going to have all of these different aspects so that even though we're having 70 games, which I understand is a lot, but for the baseball fans, they can't get enough of it. So once we get them in there one time, they're going to be begging to come back for more because they're never going to get the same show twice. Yeah, I think that's, you know, the best part about minor league baseball, honestly. 
Um, so talk just a little bit about, you know, are y'all going to have like are, any kind of cool food items that you're going to have at the park? Or I mean, I'm obviously I'm going to get a dog when I'm there, but anything special is going to make it stand out. That's going to kind of capture the local North Carolina flair. <laughs> well, one of the things we're very proud of is we've partnered with Pro Sports Catering, and they have done an immaculate job of preparing all of our food and beverages. But one thing that we really like about our park is that we're going to be featuring some North Carolina craft beers in some of our um, bar areas. So we're really promoting that locally owned, locally grown, right here agricultural base here in North Carolina. So that's something that we're very proud of, especially since agriculture is the number one export that we have in our state. So promoting that is really something that we're trying to focus on with our food. But who knows? There might be a few surprises that they have up their sleeve as far as food goes. So you just have to come to Sager Stadium and find out. Well, I, I tell you what, I uh, you, you had me at craft beer. <laughs> Usually that does um, tickle people's fancy a little bit. Yes, I do. So I'm very honored um, that I have been asked to sing the national anthem for the ribbon cutting. So I will actually be the very first singer to Grace Segra Stadium. So I'm very humbled by that opportunity, but also in my official capacity as the manager of community and media relations, I'm going to be helping because we have several of our community leaders, partners who are going to be there and helping with um, giving the crowd the most optimal experience when they see this stadium that we have been waiting for for two years finally come into fruition. I just love that you went from helping to dig the stadium to how you get to cut the ribbon that's really full circle isn't that awesome it's kind of like a little god wink so i feel very blessed so you guys are one of the rare affiliate minor league teams that are actually owned by the parent club so as long Mm -hmm. as fayetteville's around and they will be an astros team um what has that relationship been like working with the parent club Oh, I love it. And to know that the Houston Astros have made an investment in the Fayetteville community because I have grown up here. Uh, My dad was stationed at Fort Bragg. I grew up in St. Paul's, which is just, you know, 30 minutes down the road from Fayetteville and Fort Bragg. So I have watched this area progress from the time I was a little girl. Um, I used to be told, do not go on Hay Street. Do not go downtown. It's not safe. But now seeing the investment of the city and the community and now with the Houston Astros believing in the redevelopment of our downtown area and making it a place for families, soldiers, veterans, seniors, whomever to come and have a great time without having to worry about their safety. That is something that really means a lot and resonates with our community. So this place is going to be here for 30 years. And I love being able to work with Houston because they have been very hands-on. When I was hired, I had to not only be accepted by the Fayetteville people and bosses, but I also had to interview with Houston. So to know that I got their approval in addition to the Fayetteville executive's approval, that really means a lot to me. Victoria, thank you so much for joining Let's Get To. You're so welcome. Thank you. We're thrilled to welcome the voice of the Woodpeckers, Matt Sabatos. Prior to joining Fayetteville, Matt was the man behind the mic for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs and is ready to take over for the new Astros affiliate. Matt, welcome to Let's Get Two. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thank you so much. Yeah, so Matt, you are the voice of the soon-to-be Fayetteville Woodpeckers. But I'm curious, how did you get into baseball, and how did you get into broadcasting in the first place? Well, it started mostly in college. Uh, high school, I had a, a mild understanding of uh, just what I could potentially do in radio. It was uh, a somewhat vested interest, but once I got to college, I definitely started to uh, cultivate a love for broadcasting. I did a lot of games while I was in college, broadcasting here or there for or Division Two sports, a lot of high school sports, uh, did some independent baseball my junior year, things of that nature. Uh, this past season, I was with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, the AAA affiliate of the Phillies. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Ba- baseball has just always been, you know, kind of like the goal. It's just always been something where, you know, you, you, you spend the summer just 
working in the game and it's it's just, it's just always been an enjoyable ride and I'm beyond excited to uh to be a part of this inaugural season for uh for all the festivities that we're going to be having so growing up you know I had broadcasters I, I listened to radio um baseball on the radio pretty much all the time you know the quote is that it's the one sport you can see on the radio who are some broadcasters that you kind of listened to growing up uh, well, for me, I'm from St. Louis uh, originally, so uh, I was a little too young to be around there for uh, a lot of the big, a lot of the big Jack Buck years. But uh, I, I, you can follow Joe Buck, obviously, because he's pretty much everywhere you look when it comes to uh, when it comes to broadcasting. But in terms of uh, the Cardinals guys these days, you've got Dan McLaughlin, who's pretty much the gold standard when it comes to both broadcasting and being a fan because good old Danny Mac, he's a St. Louis native himself and he's been doing it for well over 20 years now, I think at this point on the TV side of things and uh, Cardinals St. Louis are very lucky to have him because you can tell he's a true fan when he's calling a game on the radio side. Of course, you've got Mike Shannon who, while he might not have uh, the traditional broadcasting background when it starts for a lot of play-by-play guys, he's still been with the organization for well over 50, 60 years at this point when he started as a player. And he's definitely carved his own niche as a play-by-play broadcaster. And that's definitely something, his personality on air, that a lot of people can uh, can go to. Because between those two, Mike Shannon and Dan McLaughlin, they, like I said, they both have the personality and the fan appeal as lifelong Cardinal fans at this point to, uh, to really, really get the fans invested. Yeah, I do think I like that part of baseball on the radio, too, because you guys are, you know, employees of the team. So it's mm-hmm. OK for you to I mean, obviously, you can't be homers, but you but it's OK to sort of feel like when you're listening as an audience member that the the voice behind the mic is living and dying with the team just like you are. in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, that's that's kind of what it is, is that like you don't necessarily want to be a homer at all times, but. You're still you're still a, a a good important piece of that team, and you need to uh, you need to you need to exemplify yourself as such. So, um, you know the the Astros, which is the Fayetteville Woodpeckers parent club, uh, their their color and play by play guys are Robert Ford and Steve Sparks, who I think are some of the best in the business. But I remember listening to a game last year, and either the Astros were blowing somebody out or getting blown out, and I just remember marveling at how they were coming up with all kinds of random stuff to talk about just to keep the broadcast interesting. Is that something that you that you think about actively as you prepare for a show? Like, what do we do if it gets out of hand? Or is it just become kind of a free-for-all to keep talking about stuff? The only time you might really think about something like that is that if there's maybe some big news of the day outside of the specific game that you're, that you're working. But in all honesty you probably won't think about it too much when it comes to when it comes to uh Robert and Steve they're they're experienced professionals and they've been doing this so long they know how to just weave in the conversation and that's really what it comes down to you're not too focused on the outside aspects of the game because you never know when something is going to change you need to get right back into talking about the game so you've just got you've just got your regular talking points that you've picked up from following the news following baseball looking around the league just all sorts of things, and uh, the experienced guys like like Robert and Steve, they they know how to do it, just pretty much at the drop of a hat. So as we said, this is as we said, this is the inaugural season for the Woodpeckers. What's the vibe down there for the town? How excited is everybody? Is everybody looking forward to getting out to the ball game? Oh yeah, the the just the level of excitement and the just the ecstaticness that I'm seeing from the city of Fayetteville is pretty much beyond comprehension. Our single game tickets just went on sale earlier this week. Opening night is already sold out. Uh, The following night, the first Friday home game of the season is just about to be sold out. I think we've already got uh, well over into four digits of season tickets sold for 2019. There's going to be uh, just a fantastic showing from, from this community. You see plenty of apparel when you're out on the streets, when you're out grocery shopping, when you're out to eat. There's plenty of woodpeckers apparel, and this entire front office as a unit is making a big push to make sure that a lot of our uh, 
quick uh, uh, consumable promotional I, uh, materials such as our pocket schedules, quick little flyers. They're being pushed out there to a lot of the local local spots, a lot of the restaurants, a lot of the bars, a lot of the coffee shops. Uh, you're, you're seeing a lot of people out there super excited about this ball club, and a lot of it comes back to the work that this front office has put in. Yeah, I, I got to be honest. I own a lot of woodpeckers gear already, and I'm in Austin, Texas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it, it's a nice design too. That's something you can't you can't deny. Yeah, you know what it is, and and uh, I'm a military veteran, so I know all about trying to avoid the red cockaded woodpecker. And so when yeah. when that was announced, that that was what the mascot was based on. There was a part of me that mm-hmm. was a little tickled by it. So what can people expect? I mean, I know, you know, the, the the curse of being part of an affiliated minor league club is that you don't control what happens between the lines. What can people, though, expect from atmosphere and what are some of the things we can look forward to this season? Uh, well, in terms of uh, promotional nights and things like that, there's definitely a lot on the on the docket for uh, for this inaugural season. I know uh, through the first couple of months, uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of military appreciation kind of things, uh, a lot of Boy Scout uh, focus kind of things, just to like get get fans out there getting ready for the summer, and then of course, obviously honoring Fort Bragg because that's a big important factor into the brand of this team of course you said the red cockaded woodpecker and then of course just you know being in Fayetteville being near Fort Bragg there's there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of importance toward military in general and we've taken good steps to make sure that that's going to be uh something that the military can come out for there's a military discount season long active or retired as long as they bring their ID they'll be able to get a discount on any ticket and we look forward to seeing a lot of military presence at our games because they they very much deserve it. And then in terms of just other promotions outside of the military appreciation ones, we've got our Alzheimer's Awareness Night. We'll be giving out a Jose Altuve bobblehead. We'll be capping off the season with a nice uh, miniature replica of Segra Stadium. And I got to tell you, that's going to look beautiful. Uh, and then there's usually the uh, there, there's the usual ones that you'd expect, the, the bucket hats, the trading card sets, the beach towels, the uh, backpacks, things like that. Uh, just normal ball game giveaways that you'd expect from time to time. But yeah, we're definitely making a big push on a lot of that military appreciation stuff. And uh, you'll be seeing a lot of good good times at the ballpark this season. So, you know, I run a film festival in Austin, Texas. And the thing that, that always seems to be happening is when we're working on one year, we're always invariably learning lessons or things we want to do for the next year kind of as we're going. So has there been any of that kind of level of growing pains with getting ready from the, I mean, to start from scratch to, you know, to go from zero to part of, you know, an affiliation of what was going to be one of the best teams in baseball this year. How has that process been? And are you guys learning lessons for year two already? I'd say, uh, I would say maybe not yet when it comes to reevaluating what will need to be done for year two, simply because we're just focusing on making sure that everything goes smoothly with this first homestand and such. Maybe once we get toward, uh, you know, middle of the month of May, start of June, we'll start looking back and seeing what we can improve upon for the remaining homestands. And then, of course, going into 2020, that'll be a big part of it. But a lot of these people have professional uh, professional sports experience in this front office. And like I said, they're they're putting in the hours, they're putting in the work to make sure that all of this is done right for the city. So one of the things that I'll definitely be doing, and I know a lot of people out there, is I'm going to be listening to your call um, all the way from Austin. So how you know how can people go ahead and find the Woodpeckers as far as the radio calls? And are y'all going to have any games on MILTV, MILB TV that you know of? How can people not in Fayetteville follow you? So minor league baseball has their partnership with uh, the tune in radio network. Just tune in.com will be available on there. Uh, They're still working on getting our official account set up for that. Us being a new team and all. So they're, uh, they're still making sure that that's going to be a hundred percent ready to go by the time opening day rolls around, but we'll have a link available on the front page of our website, FayettevilleWoodpeckers.com, where you can just go to that tune in website, type in Fayetteville Woodpeckers. You should be able to find us things like that. And yeah, 15 minutes before every first pitch, we'll be live and we'll be there until the end of the game. The Astros have, depending on who you look at the, in a top five to top seven, farm system in baseball 
So for as much as, you know, in minor league baseball, the experience is about the fans and the entertainment. Is there a part of you as a baseball guy that's excited about getting to look at actual good, a good baseball team this year as opposed to? Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt, the level of play that I'm expecting to see from the the team that will be on the field this season is pretty darn high. I, I, I can safely say that. Now, the team that so the team that preceded Fayetteville as the Astros advanced single-A affiliate, the Bowie's Creek Astros here in the Carolina League, they won the 2018 championship. They were one of the uh, two teams in the Astros organization to win their league championship, along with the Tri-City Valley Cats. All four full season teams for Houston. So the AAA team in Fresno, now they're Round Rock, of course, but the AAA team in Fresno last year, Corpus Christi last year, Bowie's Creek last year, and then the low single-A team, the Quad Cities River Bandits. All four of those teams won 80 games on the year. No other organization in minor league baseball had more than two. That tells you a lot. The fact that from top to bottom, there is quality talent, quality management, and just smack dab good games going to be played in the Astros organization. So you want to single out individual guys, of course I'd be excited to see Seth Beer once he gets out here. Uh, if he starts the season with Fayetteville, still can't imagine he'd be around too long considering how highly touted he is and how excited Houston is to get him on the fast track to Corpus Christi at the bare minimum. I'd hope to see Brian Abreu for uh, some stretch. Uh, I would hope soon. He played a good chunk of last season with Quad Cities. He would probably be one of the only guys on the 40-man roster, but his numbers last year were phenomenal with Quad Cities. He had a 1.49 ERA across the entire season with 54 innings pitched. So that righty, I, I expect to uh, see a lot from him. And then Peter Solomon, of course, too. It wasn't necessarily as highly touted when he came out of the draft, but just after a full year of work, he has really proven that he can put in some fantastic work. So guys like Peter Solomon, Tyler Ivey, Seth Beer, Brian Abreu, I'm really excited to see a lot of these big names making their way to uh, to Fayetteville and putting on the Woodpeckers uniform. Well, and I mean, you know, Seth Beer, the promotions write themselves. That's true. It's uh, it's proven to be a bit difficult because North Carolina is actually uh, a little bit uh, tight when it comes to their laws in terms of alcohol promotions. So uh, so we, we, we've tried to figure out our best workarounds for it, and hopefully it'll work out. But like I said, I can't even imagine Seth will be here too long considering how high uh, Houston has been moving him. So I guess, you know, to wrap up then – you know, and with the idea of a really good team, and, and I'm assuming a chance of a of a repeat. Have you thought about what your call will be if they win the Carolina League again, or is that oh, an obvious question? <laughs> Yeah, that's an. It is way too early for that. That's maybe a September question, honestly. But yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm still focusing on that very first time. Uh, that very first time. I go on the air for this team because that's going to be a lot of people's first impression. I haven't put too much thought into it yet, but that's going to be a big step. Well, Matt, I'm really excited to listen. I will be listening to your home opener, and uh, I'm very excited to follow the Woodpeckers this year. Appreciate it, James. We appreciate uh, you being along as a fan. Absolutely, and thanks for joining Let's Get To You. And now, on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that about wraps it up for Let's Get To this week. Remember when you're out this weekend. Remember Memorial Day. Remember the Fallen. I do want to thank the folks from the Midland Rockhounds for showing us such a great time last weekend. It really, really was a blast and can't wait to get back out there. They really know how to show a guy a good time. And I'm looking forward to getting out to the Corpus Christi Hooks this weekend and and seeing a different side of the Texas League. Now, before we get out of here, we do have to do our Players of the Week and our Teams of the Week. So we have two Players of the Week. And first, we want to say a big congratulations to Diamute Quiles, who became the first female superior AA player in Puerto Rico minor league baseball. So a female playing professional baseball down in Puerto Rico, that's pretty cool. I also want to do a shout-out to Seth Beer of the Corpus Christi Hooks. He got moved up to AA just last week and has gone 7-for-10 
with three walks, a homer, five ribbies, and four runs scored over three games. Again, this is the best promotion in baseball waiting to happen. I can't wait to see him get to the bigs. Now for our teams this week, what is up with the football scores around minor league baseball, particularly in AAA? First, the Reno Aces took it to the Tacoma Rainiers to the tune of 25-8. to 25-8. Led by four homers from Yasmani Tomas. Now you got to think, if you score eight runs, you're going to win the game. Apparently not in Reno. Your luck has run out. Puns and dad jokes. Now who remembers that episode of The Simpsons when the Springfield isotopes were in the the big playoffs and and then they thought they were going to win the championship and then they didn't and it was a sad moment. Topes lose. Topes lose. Anybody remember that? I remember that. Well, the Topes did lose. They lost to the El Paso Chihuahuas. 21 to 10. And again, I don't know what's happening with offense in the PCL. I know that the runs have been up this year. Maybe it's the new playing with the Major League Baseball. I don't know, but the ball seems to be flying out of just about every PCL park. So that about does it for us. Next week, we're going to be looking at a very different kind of baseball. We're going to be looking at some collegiate wood bat leagues when we talk about the Brazos Valley Bombers and the famous Savannah Bananas. Collegiate woodback leads are an important step between college and the pros because it's sometimes some of the best college players in baseball getting the opportunity to play with a wood bat for the first time. So if you haven't been out to a collegiate woodbat team, there are literally teams all over the country. I recommend it. So that'll be next week. And until next week, remember, candlesticks, nice gift, check where they're registered, and let's get to.